What a strange day of weather for Christmas Eve, huh? But it's Christmas Eve nonetheless. So it's interesting because the two symbols, probably the two greatest symbols of events in the Bible, are a manger and a cross. And it's, it's interesting because a manger is a feeding trough for animals. And a cross is a Roman execution device. I mean, literally used, they, they nail people to it and wait till they suffocate to death. Manger is where animals eat. Okay, full of saliva, Dirt. It'd be terrible. This one's actually pretty sanitary compared to what one would actually look like. And it's what's interesting is we have these symbols on jewelry and necklaces. And if you have one on even tonight, that's great. That's for good reason, right? They symbolize the heart of Christianity, the heart of what we believe. But we easily can lose the meaning. And we can easily lose the fact that these symbols are pretty obscure. You see, the unexpected, obscure nature of Christmas and Easter is often lost because we're over-familiar with these holidays and we're over-familiar with these symbols. But they should actually produce a lot of wonder and awe within us. See, God has kind of this upside-down kingdom. Things aren't quite what you expect with God. And we're about to read probably one of the most well-known passages in the Bible in America today, but I urge you not to check out while I read this. Here's what I know. I know lots of you hear Luke 2 read every Christmas, maybe multiple times. If you watch Charlie Brown, they even read it in there, which is great. So you're probably pretty familiar with it, and maybe you haven't heard it before, and I'm happy to introduce you to this account of Jesus' birth, but I just urge you, don't tune out. I, you know, it was really cool. This year, I always sit down with these scriptures every year, same scriptures, they don't change, they're timeless, and I'm like, okay, God, I'm not quite sure how you're going to do it, because I'm 36 years old, and every year of my life, I've privileged, by the way, to, to grow up in a, in a home where we read the Christmas story every year. So I've heard this so much. How How am I going to sit down with this with fresh eyes and see it with wonder and awe? And it happened once again. God's word is living and active. And so I'm excited to bring this to you. But as I read it, have fresh eyes and a fresh heart towards not a story, but an account of what really happened in time and space. So let me pray for us before we read this scripture together. So Jesus, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would just give us fresh eyes and open hearts to hear from you through your word, Lord. So maybe it's the first time, maybe it's the thousandth time that people in here have heard this, but I I pray that regardless, regardless, that you would speak to us very clearly this morning. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 2. Verses 1 through 20. We'll be reading from the CSB. Luke 2, 1. In those days, 
A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at, uh, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the city of David. A Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Amen. So the unexpected, almost absurd proof of God's handiwork here is a manger. So what happened? Verse 7. Then she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. This is absurd because Jesus, God himself, is given a dirty animal feeding trough as a crib. So if you think modern day, Okay, what do, you, what do you use to feed your dogs? Dog bowl. So imagine you had an oversized dog bowl, and you're like, well, I don't have a crib, so I'll just lay my baby in it. I mean, that's, that's what's going on here. Animals are eating from this thing, and that's all that was available for the king of kings and lord of lords. So they laid him in a manger, but it's interesting. The manger is the centerpiece of this story. It's, it's fascinating. Go, jump down to verse 12. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. So now the angels who are bringing God's words to these shepherds are saying, hey, here's going to be the sign. An oversized dog bowl. <laughs> An animal feeding trough. And the, the shepherds must have been like, what? Is it? Okay, the savior of the world is going to be laying in a manger. Okay, so off they go. And verse 16, they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. 
Repeated three times in this scripture. Never noticed that before. Lying in a manger. Lying in a manger. Lying in a manger. It's absurd because it's the, the centerpiece of what God told them really was true. Jesus was actually in a manger. And this is crazy because of all the things to tell the shepherds is the sign that this is God's handiwork. It's a manger. God highlights the fact that the Savior is born in a feeding trough. See, only God could weave this all together with a stinking manger. Of all the things to highlight, why a manger? This is, this is Jesus, the wonderful counselor, right? We have it over here on this, on this beautiful piece that Esther made for us. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace, savior of the world, Jesus. And this is what he gets as a crib. But he doesn't just get an animal's plate as his first bed. God goes out of his way to highlight it and make it the focus in this story. It's so unexpected that it must have happened. Let's look at verse 9 for a second. It says, But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. So she was thinking about what? What was Mary thinking about? We don't actually know. It doesn't tell us. But I, I can almost guarantee she's thinking about what God had told her would happen. And so we see in Luke chapter 1, 26 to 33, here's, here's what God told her. So it says, Luke 1, 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now, the next two verses, I think this is what Mary was thinking about. 32, he will be great and be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So here's Mary. She's watching this happen. She's like, I have nowhere else to lay my baby, who is... God told me is the savior of the world and here I am laying him in a manger and shepherds are visiting and we'll get to them in a second but she expected greatness, grandeur. He's going to be son of the most high. She expected him to be sitting on David's throne to be the king but not just any king the king of kings to reign over Israel forever and his kingdom would have no end but here was reality for Mary she was expecting grandeur she was expecting a king's birth but reality is that he got an animal's welcome and is laid in a feeding trough she expected a king's welcome, but reality is that Jesus got an outcast welcome. You see, shepherds, shepherds were outcasts in society at the time. 
See, shepherds weren't even allowed to testify in court because they were considered unreliable and untrustworthy people. And these are the people who are there worshiping Jesus. Outcasts. Outcasts to the religious as well and to the Jews. I mean, their, their job, being shepherds, was a 24-7 job, which means they had to break a lot of laws, including not keeping the Sabbath, because they couldn't not work on the Sabbath. So they were looked down on by everyone in society. But before we get down on the shepherds too much, they weren't actually the lowest of low in society. Some even speculate that shepherds were, these, these particular shepherds were raising sheep that were used for sacrifices in the temple. But they certainly wouldn't be your first, second, third, fourth, or fifth choice of the people who would first hear about the Messiah being born and come and worship him. But yet, here they are. So here's Mary. She's meditating on and treasuring up these things in her heart. What's she thinking about? She's thinking about the unexpected way that God is working. So put yourself in Mary's shoes. What would you be feeling? You'd probably be feeling really confused. You'd be like, what? You know, God, how are you going to do something great here? I don't quite get this. You'd probably feel kind of curious. Like, what's, what's going to happen next? And certainly, you'd have a level of awe. Clearly, God's ways are not my ways. When, when God told me that he's going to be great, I didn't think it would start like this. So Mary was undoubtedly pondering what some have called this upside-down, unexpected way of God. Now, we have the privilege of being on this side of the whole account, and so we see the whole story, and so we can see that this is what God does. The first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the nature of God's kingdom and of how God works. And so some, something I've really appreciated over the years is uh, the Bible Project, and they've just done a really good job of making um, concepts and stories uh, in the Bible just come to life uh, through videos that they make. So I just wanted to show you a short video that helps kind of make sense of this upside-down kingdom that God has and his upside-down plan on Christmas that I've been talking about. So check this out. Yeah, there was a decree across the world. 
They could have visited the place. They can't find a guest room. And so the only place they can find is a spotless penthouse. Now here's one. It's obsessive with this place. And it ain't good, really. Which, of course, freaks them out. But they're told to settle for it because tonight in Beverly Hills, a savior has been born. Yeah, they're told to go and find this baby, and they'll know that it's the Messiah because he's going to be wrapped up and laying in a grimy feeding trough. Yeah, which is pretty gross, totally. And then these shepherds, who aren't very clean themselves, they go and find the newborn Jesus in this really dingy place, and their minds are blown. They go home wondering, what was it like? And this is all really strange. I mean, if God's really coming to save the world, this isn't how you would expect him to arrive. Born in an animal shelter to a teenage girl, celebrated by no name as a shepherd. Exactly. I mean, everything is backwards in Luke's story, and that point. He is showing how God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty places among the poor, because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world order upside down. So let me just repeat something they just said. This is all really strange. I mean, if God's really coming to save the world, this isn't how you would expect him to arrive. Born in an animal shelter to a teenage girl, celebrated by no-name shepherds, everything is backwards in Luke's story. And that's the point. He's showing how God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty places among the poor, Because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world order upside down. It's incredible. You see, you expect God to do one thing, and he does the exact opposite. And this is the way of God. Um, Tim Keller said it like this. In Jesus' kingdom, the poor, sorrowful, and persecuted are above the rich, recognized, and satisfied. The first shall be last. Why would this be? This reversal is a way of imitating the pattern of Christ's salvation. Though Jesus was rich, he became poor. Though he was a king, he served. Though he was the greatest, he made himself the servant of all. He triumphed over sin, not by taking up power, but by serving sacrificially. He won through losing everything. This is a complete reversal of the world's way of thinking, which values power, recognition, wealth, and status. The gospel then creates a new kind of servant community with people who live out an entirely alternate way of being human. So this is the way of God. So as I was looking at Luke chapter 2 this year, I felt three things in my heart as I was trying to look at Luke 2 with fresh eyes. And the first thing I felt is I just felt more convinced than ever that this was true, that this actually happened. And I was so convinced of it because it's so unexpected. You couldn't make this up. Even the best storyteller wouldn't have Jesus come in so humbly, laying in a manger, And then end so humbly by dying on a cross. You see, a good storyteller would have Jesus start out really humble, but then go from zero to hero and by the end of his life be all powerful. But that's not what happens. 
No storyteller would do that, especially if God was the hero. And so this is, I'm just even more convinced than ever this was true. And, and if we're all honest, regardless of where we're at, maybe we're, you're here t- this morning. I almost said tonight because I'm used to Christmas Eve services at night. But here we are. This morning, I'm more convinced this morning than ever because if we're all honest, you know, some of us are here and we're just like, I don't really know about Jesus. I don't know if that's all true. I'm glad you're here this morning. Praise God. Some of you are like, no, I absolutely believe that Jesus is real and good and true and I trust in him. You know, and, and somewhere, anywhere along the spectrum. But at all points in our journey, we're tempted to doubt this whole thing. I mean, if we're just honest, we are. That's normal. But once again, if that's where you find yourself today, be convinced This is all real and true because who but God could could construct this type of story. See, I want you to just rest assured this morning that Jesus really did come to earth to save us from our sin. This isn't just a feel-good story fabricated to help us get through the winter. Jesus, God with us, really was born in Bethlehem. The second thing I felt as I've been looking at Luke 2 this Christmas season is I've just felt really encouraged. Encouraged because Jesus meets us in our sin and in our weakness. See, Jesus deserved the red carpet treatment when he was born, but instead was given a feeding trough. Jesus humbled himself, not just by coming to earth, but coming as a vulnerable baby to identify with us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, even though he was sinless, took on our sin for us. And this all started in a manger by taking on our condition. So here's why I'm so personally encouraged by Jesus meeting us in our sin. Here's why I'm so encouraged as early as this morning. This morning, I regret to tell you that I had a thought about someone. And I thought, you know, I wish this person would just disappear. I hate that I had that thought. That was sinful, that was wrong of me to have that sort of thought towards someone else who is created in the image of God. And so I quickly repented and said, God, please forgive me. And Lord, give me a new perspective on this person and on every person. And you know what? Jesus doesn't give me the cold shoulder the rest of the day now because I had that thought. See, Jesus meets us in our sin and forgives us and walks forward with us. See, I can stand here confidently and talk about God and bring his word to you. Why? Not because I have it all together, very much the opposite. But because Jesus got it all together for me. He became sin who knew no sin so that I could have the righteousness of God and you can as well, simply by believing in him. You see, when you sin 
and repent and turn to Jesus, he doesn't sit there and just go, just shake his head at you or turn his back on you and give you the cold shoulder. No, in that moment, from that very second, he forgives you and walks forward with you. He welcomes you into his open arms and and walks with you. So be encouraged today. You are actually forgiven. Maybe you're here and you just can't forgive yourself. Well, guess what? Jesus has forgiven you. So that should free you to forgive yourself of whatever you've done. Because he offers you forgiveness from everything, absolutely everything. He is with you. And he is for you. He's not against you today. He meets you in your sin and in your weakness. And he meets you with grace and kindness. See, Jesus isn't expecting perfection out of you. He was perfect for you. He just wants your repentant, humble heart coming to him. See, our sin and our weakness should drive us to Jesus, not away from Jesus. Keith and Kristen Getty capture this thought beautifully in their song, His Mercy is More. And so I want to read some of the lyrics from this song. What love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins they are many, but his mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness. New every morn. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. So be encouraged. Because God proves his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God meets us in our mess. And he displayed it through a manger. He was laid in a mess. He meets us in our mess. And the third thing I felt while looking at Luke 2 with fresh eyes was just empowerment. I felt empowered because God used shepherds. So if he can use shepherds, he can use anybody. Luke 2, 17, 18, again, it says, After seeing them, after seeing Mary and Joseph and Jesus lying in the manger, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So people listened to these outcasts of society and were amazed. God used these guys in spite of their reputation and in spite of their status in society. Look, if God can use shepherds, he can use anyone in this room. See, I don't care what your past was and I don't care what your present is. I don't care what you did last night or what you did this morning. God can use you. Many of us, are going to be around family over the next week or so. And most of us have family members that don't follow Jesus. And most of us also have family members that make us not want to act like Jesus, if you know what I mean. But what if instead of viewing that time with family as something to get through, 
We viewed it rather as an opportunity to be used by God. I mean, being used by God, especially in a a Christmas family environment, could be as simple as just closing your mouth. (laughs) Being used by God could be asking someone, hey, what do you think about Jesus? And just having being bold and having a conversation like that. It could be asking someone if you can pray for them or just asking how you can pray for them. It could be asking, just sitting down with someone that you know is hurting in your family and just asking them questions and being a great listening ear to them. But you see, if God used shepherds for his glory, he definitely can use you and he definitely can use me, regardless of the situation, regardless of your family situation, even over the holidays and really challenging situations, God can use you. So let him look for opportunities to be used by God over this Christmas season. So I just want to, I just want to encourage you as I close, as you see mangers and nativity sets this Christmas, be convinced that this is 100% true because it's so unexpected. And be encouraged because Jesus meets us in our sin, in our weakness. He meets us in our messy feeding trough. And be empowered because God used shepherds so he certainly can use you. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for each person here. And I pray, Jesus, if they don't know you, that today they would put their trust in you and find their hope and their life and their joy in Jesus. And I pray, Father, for those that do know you, Jesus, that you would empower them with your spirit to be used by you. And I pray that that would start in their homes and in their family gatherings coming up and that would spread throughout their life that you would use them in powerful ways and and maybe in very, very mundane ways of maybe just being quiet or speaking up or whatever it would be, Lord. But I just pray that you would use us in ways that would just magnify you and point people to you. So Jesus, we're just so grateful for all you've done for us and we thank you not just for the manger, but we thank you for the cross. And I especially thank you this morning, even though it's not Easter, but I, I mean, it's already happened. So I thank you for the empty tomb. You're not dead. You're alive and you're living here. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us right here tonight. Even if we don't feel it, you are here. Thank you for that reality always. In Jesus' name, amen.